This week on Medical Minefield, egg freezing patient Charlie. Despite the process being explained to you, you don't actually realise how rigorous it is on your body. All I was being told is, I'm young, I've got a really great chance. So you harvested five eggs, but only three were able to actually be frozen. It was five weeks of treatment for three eggs. Probably the most pain I've ever felt. Yeah, it wasn't worth it. And patient services director at the fertility clinic, the Evewell, Emma Cafton. What we'll do during those scans is be saying to patients, this is going like this. This is how it's looking today. You have to go on that journey with someone. There will be scenarios where we say to a patient, look, we think we are only going to collect three eggs. What do you want to do? We would say in certain circumstances, we think we should stop and try again another month. But she shouldn't have been left not knowing that that was happening to her, no. Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Eve Simmons, and I'm a journalist, which means I spend my life asking tough questions to top experts so that you don't have to. This week, I'm joined by our star reporter, Joe McFarlane. We're asking, is egg freezing just one big ripoff? As always, we'd like to hear from you. If you've got a question or a suggestion, you can tweet us at MedMinefield. So, Joe, this is a topic that both you and I have written about, and Indeed. it seems on the face of it fairly simple, but it's not simple. <laughs> it's not simple at all. I mean, you can see that for uh, women getting to a certain age in their lives who may not have found the right person, the mm. idea of egg freezing sounds like the holy grail, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you can just literally put your fertility on ice. That's mm-hmm. what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Weak your eggs out stick them in a freezer, wait till you found Mr. Right, and then you can weak them out again. You can do it at 50. Absolutely, whenever you like. Mm. Like all the celebrities out there who are still popping out children yeah. in their yeah. 40s and 50s. Well, it's something that my... So I'm 32 and sort of, I guess, newly single. And so therefore I am considering my options and I have friends who have put their, I guess, their money into consultations and that kind of thing. Um with regards to egg freezing, but haven't gone through the full process yet. And one friend of mine a couple of weeks ago pulled out of her treatment because she was quoted £3,000. And then after a couple of weeks and one consultation, they bumped it up for eight to £8,000, didn't oh, tell God. her why. More than double. She Maybe felt the whole Yeah. And she felt the whole experience was completely, she just felt kind of untrusting of it Mm. she had a couple of tests where she was told that her fertility was terrible and on the floor and if she didn't do egg freezing right now she'd never have a baby gosh how awful yeah she was completely scarred by the whole thing and and it it sparked my interest and I, I wanted to look into it and I think what's interesting is that in the last I'd say month or so there's been a string of articles written by young women who have gone through the process who have not had a good experience and there is this sort of backlash I think at the moment about egg freezing being just a sort of money-making scheme another way of selling women something that they don't need and there's some really awful stories out there yeah I can imagine lots of women saying that they completely regret doing it however there are also clinics who often trot out patient case studies who say it was the best thing that they ever did and it was great and they had had no problems whatsoever. The interesting thing I think about egg freezing when it comes to looking at whether it works or not is that hardly any live babies have been born yeah. 
from egg freezing. Mm -hmm. So it begs the question, how can clinics say that it works? Exactly. And I think this is the interesting dynamic here. I mean, I'm 10 years older than you, and I would say that most of my friends, it's not something they would ever have considered when they were thinking about their fertility, perhaps 10 years ago, perhaps 15 years ago, because I think the idea back then was that it was a scam and Mm. that there wasn't the data to back it up. And particularly that freezing your embryos Uh, had a much better chance of um, survival and ending up in a baby than purely freezing your eggs So that's when the egg is fertilised. That's when the egg is fertilised, yes. But obviously that requires requires either a partner or you flicking through a a book of um, attractive Danish men um, to pick. (laughs) A lot of them are these days, actually. Yeah, very much so. Um, I know several people who have relied on Danish sperm banks to produce their Viking children. (laughs) But that's probably a conversation for another day. Um, I'm going to bookmark that. So I suppose my view of it has has always been slightly sceptical. My question would always be, where is the data to back up that if you do bank your eggs um, as a young woman, that they can be successfully defrosted, uh, fertilised with your chosen sperm and uh, results in a live birth? Mm. Because that's the crucial thing. It's the live birth Mm. data, Mm. not really whether you can get pregnant Mm. as a result of it too. And I don't think that much of that data exists. And is that because the women who do freeze their eggs early on then find a partner later on and get pregnant naturally? Or is it because those eggs are just staying in storage and those women are happily or they, do tr- or they do try and they don't work. Or they do try and they do. But then surely that should be part of a data set somewhere. Well, the latest data that I could find from the um, HEFA, HFEA, the Human Fertilisation and Embryology, Embryology Authority. Authority, thank you, it shows that I think that was from 2016. And in 2016, I think there was 39 babies born from frozen eggs. And do we know how many have been frozen? So I don't have those figures for 2016, but there has been a 60% jump in the number of women freezing their eggs between 2019 and 2021. Mm. I think the figures are somewhere around 4,000. I do suspect that those figures for live births from frozen eggs may well be from donor eggs because older women who seek fertility treatment, particularly when you sort of hit 45 and above, clinics will automatically say to you, have you considered using donor eggs? Mm. Because although that's not you having your own genetic child, albeit it may be fertilised by the sperm of your husband or partner, your chances of conceiving with a younger donor egg are significantly increased and having a healthy a healthy child with no complications of course absolutely so i'd be interested to know that breakdown how many of those are younger donor eggs and how many of those are women coming back using their own frozen eggs i mean the the thing is we really don't have good data on this we don't however i was exactly like you completely skeptical and as as i guess in the back of my head thinking is this something i would ever consider i was really sort of I, i don't think so i think it's a bit of a waste of money However, once I started digging into the data, I mean, most of the research that we have comes from individual fertility clinics, which obviously can't be completely relied upon. However, it does give us a good idea. And there's some studies from a couple of big fertility clinics, one in Belgium and one in the US, that shows that actually the live birth rate from frozen eggs is somewhere between 40 and 50%. I think other uh, an Australian authority has has estimated it to be about thirty percent. Mm. So it's not. 
terrible. No. And one Belgian study that I looked at, the women who had frozen their eggs were an average age of 36. So it's not That's terrible for women who are no. mid-30s. Absolutely um, And those women also gave birth at 42, an average age of 42. Okay. yeah, yeah. So those odds aren't, aren't the worst. No, and, no. And maybe kind of worth investing in. Yeah, and I suppose if you look at the other side of the industry, the industry that I've already mentioned, these are older women using mm. younger donor eggs. All those eggs are harvested from young women and they're frozen mm. in the same way that any woman would have her eggs frozen if she was undergoing that procedure. Mm. Those donor eggs are then defrosted, brought out of storage, fertilised and given to these women. Mm. Now, as far as I know, women are told that the odds of actually conceiving using those eggs and of giving birth to a live baby are pretty good, actually. Mm. So, I mean, that in itself, I suppose, is evidence that freezing eggs and then turning them into embryos and then babies does work. Well, so I've been told that the way that they work out whether it works or not, and we're going to speak to an actual expert who knows mm. what they're talking about rather than me later, but it's like a funnel. So you start off with however many eggs you might collect, say it's 10 or 15 or even 20, and about 90% of those eggs are expected to survive the thawing process, so after you defrost them when they've yep. been frozen. And then of them, I think about 70% are expected to successfully fertilise I see. And then of them, about half are expected to make embryos. And then so, so you could you can very quickly go from a very large amount of eggs yes, to a very small, small number, number of embryos. Of embryos yeah. And then it's however many of those embryos will implant. Of course. And then the numbers kind of start getting smaller and smaller from there. Yes. So really, the more eggs you have, the better. Yes. So you can have a very large egg collection, but your chances of actually having a baby from that egg collection may still be relatively small. And it's so <laughs> different depending on the woman. I've spoken to clinicians who have told me that they've had women who have they've collected 20 eggs and at the end of it, they end up with no embryos mm -hmm. because none of them survive. And it's such a commercial side of the industry that you wonder how much of that is actually being communicated to those women. Women are paying a lot of money to undergo a procedure which is not without discomfort and pain, as we're going to hear, actually, I think, from a wonderful case study who's been through quite a difficult time having her eggs harvested. And you do wonder how much is actually being communicated to those women at the start of that process. Mm. What are they being told about their chances of actually successfully having a live birth? And what are they told about the number of eggs that they need to collect in order to make that a reality? Mm. Well, we are going to speak to somebody who had not a very good experience right now. Joining us now is Charlie, who recently underwent the egg freezing procedure, but for medical reasons, and um, had quite a bad experience. Charlie, could you start by just telling us a little bit about the background to your story? What brought you to egg freezing? Yeah, of course. So I'm 32, not really had any medical problems before, but unfortunately got diagnosed with breast cancer about mm. seven weeks ago. And due to that, they advised me to go and have egg retrieval and to freeze my eggs so that if the chemotherapy treatment I'm having for the breast cancer affects my fertility at all in the future, then I'll have a backup option there of my eggs that I can use in the future. So didn't have any fertility issues before, went to the fertility clinic and they said, well, I'm young. It looks like I've got, you know, really good chances of having a good reaction to the treatment. I was told it would be about 10 days. In total, of from the moment I go in and get first scanned to when they'll be able to collect the eggs as well. So 
So it all seemed very straightforward, very routine. I know that a lot of other young women that I'm friends with or colleagues with talk about egg retrieval and it's something we've all considered as well. Being in our early 30s, being in higher power position jobs in the city is something that was seen as, you know, nothing too out of the ordinary. So when considering doing it or not, it was quite an easy thing for me to say, okay, yeah, that that sounds... And and have you always known that you wanted children and you're with a a partner, aren't, aren't you? So is that something that you have been planning for anyway? Yeah, I've been with my partner 13 years. So I think, you know, children weren't something in our immediate future. But as a woman who's been with their partner for a long time, it's one of those things you kind of take for granted of, yeah, I will have kids in the future. Mm. And then when you're told, oh, maybe you won't be able to, you think to yourself, oh, gosh, this is actually a lot more important than I thought. Tell me about the procedure itself or the whole process. Why was it such a negative experience for you? I really underestimated what it involved and didn't understand. So despite you having an initial consultation and despite the process being explained to you, you don't actually realise how rigorous it is on your body. Mm. Um, And I find it extraordinary that women can work whilst having this done. Um, Because for me, and, you know, I, I like to think I've just had my first round of chemotherapy, which wasn't fantastic, but was tolerable. For me, actually, the egg retrieval was worse than chemotherapy on my body. The tax my body had to pay for it. It all starts with you being down-regulated. So you have to have injections into your stomach every day that you do at home that switch all of your hormones off to try and get you on their own cycle, to override your own kind of natural cycle. So they turn everything off, and then they switch everything back on with stimulants. Mm. So then what they try to do is they're trying to stimulate multiple eggs growing so that they can go in and harvest multiple eggs at the same time. So usually in your ovaries, you produce one, maybe two eggs a month. What they're trying to do with the stimulants is they try and stimulate the follicles to produce numerous eggs. In my case, I had 19 follicles, which is apparently very good. So they're trying to stimulate all of those follicles growing eggs rather than just one of them growing one egg. Mm. And I think that process, I didn't realise how taxing that would be. You have to be scanned every other day. So you need to go in and get scanned and they need to see how everything's growing. But you don't realise the rate in which everything will grow. So your follicles uh, and your ovaries are only a few millimetres each. But actually, if every follicle is growing three to five millimetres, so each ovary can end up going, you know, four, five, six times as big as it usually is. So you end up looking six months pregnant. Like your stomach is huge and your ovaries are pushing against your bowel, which means that it can be hard to go to the toilet. They're pushing against your bladder, which means it's easy. You know, you, mm. you don't feel very comfortable. It can, they can push against your kidneys, etc. Is it painful? Um, Is there a lot of pain? Really painful. Super mm. painful. And then whilst you're... Um, a bit like period pain, I've heard. No, it, it feels like you're pregnant because you have something inside you that's pushing against all of your organs. And it's growing at a, a, a really ridiculous rate. So, yeah, it's painful just because of the rate of growth in your back as well, your lower back, etc. The hormones can make you feel nauseous. They can also make you feel very sick when you inject them. So for at least an hour after every injection, and I was doing two a day at home mm. every day for almost a month, 
you feel sick, you feel tired, you can get hot flushes, etc. So to work with, you know, all of this pain in your stomach, with these injections, with feeling unwell, with having to be scanned every day, you know, that that was a lot more that I kind of signed up for that I didn't I didn't quite realise. I then had a breakthrough bleed whilst I was simulating as well because my body was trying to get itself on its own cycle again. So again, that was very painful and we didn't want to lose the follicles in eggs. So then I was on bed rest for a week before egg harvesting. And then when I went in for the egg harvesting procedure, again, I didn't really understand that it wasn't explained to me exactly what it was. And it wasn't until I watched a YouTube video I realised so you see the female anatomy and you think to yourself, okay, so you have the vagina that goes up into the uterus, then up into your tubes and round and back down to your ovaries. So I thought that, you know, a camera on a kind of flexi tube would go up and round into my ovaries and they'd flex the eggs that way. That's not actually how they do it. They go up into the vagina and they then get a needle to go through the walls of the vagina out either side to the ovaries where the ovaries then hang. And the ovaries are completely free form in your body. I didn't realize this either, but they're not attached to anything. So they can float about. So it's not always guaranteed they'll be able to get to the ovary on that day, mm-hmm. even if they have been able to see it on scans, because they can move. They mm-hmm. move around, you know, your organs, they, they move around your body, etc. So, unfortunately, when I went in for egg retrieval, they couldn't even access one of my ovaries, which I didn't realise either because it had moved that morning behind my uterus. So, how many so eggs yeah, did so they, they get from you in the end? They only managed to freeze three, which wow. was really disappointing because really for great results, you need 10 to 12 eggs. And did they have... tell you during the scans and the blood tests and everything, did they say that we're expecting this to not be such a success? No. And I think that's why I'm slightly disappointed because the process went on for me double the amount of time it was meant to because they were trying to stimulate these follicles and they weren't growing as quickly as they thought. All I was being told is I'm young, I've got loads of follicles, I've got a really great chance, they're just having, you know, a trouble stimulating them. So then, yeah, to be told afterwards, they could only access one ovary and then also only, you know, there was only, they they harvested five eggs, but Mm. only three were able to actually be frozen. So the chances of anything, you know, being able to be usable with just three eggs or anything happening with three eggs Mm. is super low. Mm. And I just thought to myself, it was, it was probably five weeks in the end of treatment, really intense treatment, where I was on bed rest for, you know, a week and a half, mm. I was in pain, etc. for three eggs, that was tough to stomach. And then when I got home, it? yeah, it wasn't worth it. So unfortunately, because they put me on such a high dose of stimulant to try and get the follicles to produce eggs, I was at a really high risk of developing ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, mm. um, which is where your ovaries are hyperstimulated it occurs in most women after um, the egg retrieval, which I also didn't realise as well. But it leads to your ovaries swelling and becoming very painful and very inflamed and large. Mm. And also leaking liquid into your abdomen, which can also go up into your lungs. So I, I was left with that afterwards. You know, I felt fantastic after the, the procedure. And then by 8, 9 o'clock that evening, my stomach blew up. Like, I looked nine months pregnant. The pressure 
of everything. You know, you, you feel like you're going to pop. Mm. And um, I was still having to do these injections into my stomach afterwards. And that lasted for a week. Probably the most pain I've ever felt. To what extent do you think that the clinic was kind of to blame for your bad experience? Because, you know, hearing your story, it seems as though they should have taken steps to sort of, I don't know, prevent you from going to the next stage of treatment if, if it wasn't going to work. And if you were only going to get three eggs, from what I understand, it's relatively clear when things aren't going to go very well. Perhaps if you were treated somewhere else that was, I'm going to say, a bit more responsible, do you think that that, that would have made the process easier? I do think someone should have sat down with me and said things aren't looking great. And in retrospect, looking back, knowing what I know now, Mm. I should have told myself to stop. But you're not an expert in fertility when you start your process. And in in retrospect, someone should have sat me down and said, okay, things are getting really tough and really difficult. Realistically speaking, these are your chances. Mm. You know, this is what the outlook is. Do you want to proceed? And quite honestly, I was in so much pain, I probably would have said, okay, enough is enough. Knowing as well I had chemotherapy starting a week after my egg retrieval, which couldn't be pushed back anymore. Charlie, thank you so much for joining us and for being so honest about your experience. No, you're more than welcome. Poor old Charlie. That story is enough to put anyone off really yeah it's completely devastating because if you're in that situation as a cancer patient or about to become a cancer patient of course you want to preserve your fertility age 32 in a Mm. long-term relationship I can see that it was a no-brainer for her but to end up in that amount of pain Mm. and actually feeling like you don't have much support yeah that, that for me was the crucial part it felt like there was no one there telling her what was going wrong or you know how she might cope with it. I'm pretty surprising that there didn't seem to be also any communication between her cancer team and the egg freezing team that's clearly part of the same pathway. Absolutely, yeah. But I mean, it's interesting because I've heard this week I've spoken to so many different women who have had experiences of egg freezing and there are a lot of women who say it was completely simple, easy, not a big deal. It was over in 10 days. They definitely recommend it to a friend. And then on the other side of the coin, you've got experiences like Charlie's which is you you don't want to risk that no situation no no no. it's interesting I mean I've written about um, egg donation before and they Mm. very specifically want very young women so ideally they want them to be between sort of 18 and 23 Mm. and I think that's because it does it's quite easy and relatively uh, straightforward when you're that age I wonder if there is a link between the sort of slightly older you get and the more that complications might arise as uh, with this treatment I've no idea really Mm. but I do wonder if that's perhaps why I think it's all to do with an individual's hormonal profile and a million different things that can happen and go wrong, depending on the person. Mm, Yeah. But I think now we should speak to somebody who is involved in the egg freezing industry. On the line now is Emma Cafton, who is um, the patient services director at a fertility clinic in London called the Evewell. Emma, thank you so much for joining us. I know you guys have seen a a big rise in um, women coming in for egg freezing, Mm -hmm. one you told me earlier in the week. I'm wondering what kind of women are you seeing? What position are they in? Mm -hmm. I think generally women are in their 30s. It's really unusual to see women younger than 30 considering egg freezing. 
I think that we probably saw a change in particularly the age of women that were thinking about egg freezing kind of during the pandemic and COVID. Um, and I think that before that, it had tended to be women who were later into their 30s. Some were even considering it in their early 40s. And I think that during the pandemic, you know, people had a lot of time on their hands. Crises make people think about their futures and what they want. And I think that people were coming to thinking about, actually, was this something that they should think about? Was this something that they wanted to think about? And I think that it wasn't just women thinking about egg freezing, but we saw a bigger increase in women actually just thinking about their gynecological health, their reproductive health, and just wanting to explore that. And not just saying that, by exploring that, that meant that they were definitely thinking about egg freezing, but just taking more of an interest in understanding their fertility. Mm. What would you say to somebody who says that there isn't a lot of data on the success mm. of egg freezing because mm. we don't have mm. very many live births to go on yeah. and therefore yeah. the industry is sort of cashing in on something, in on, mm. on women's I guess, curiosity and vulnerability um, and desperation. What do you say to that? Well, look, I think you're right. We don't have a lot of data. And I think that the data that we do have, which is very small, is based on a technique that's not being used anymore. So the technique that was being used to freeze eggs 10 years ago is not the technique that we're using today. What every clinic should know is what's the thaw rate of the eggs that they are freezing today? And following that, what they should know is once the eggs have been thawed, what's the utilization rate of those those eggs looking like? So the eggs then need to go on to either fertilize and then then become embryos. And so what the clinic should know is what does that look like? And what we're seeing here is that those eggs are behaving as though they were never frozen. They're behaving in the same way that fresh eggs are that we're using in the laboratory. And those are really, really important things for us to know. And they are promising. I think what I'd say to someone who said, with this limited data, is this something that women should be doing? Or is this an industry cashing in on it? I think that we need to have a really balanced view of egg freezing. I don't think that egg freezing should be a reason to delay motherhood if someone knows they want to become a parent. And I don't think that it should ever be seen by someone as a absolute guarantee that because I have done this and because I have frozen my eggs, I automatically have the right to become a parent. We always counsel patients on those two things. I think it is a fantastic option for someone who has seen a clinician who thinks that egg freezing could be successful for that person. And for whatever reason, they have decided that now is just not the right time for them to become a parent. That might be because of career. It might be because of relationship status. It might be because they don't even know that they definitely want to become a parent. And I think in those scenarios where a clinician is saying, we think it could be successful for you, then they are better off having those eggs frozen than coming at a much later age without them. But I think they have to be counseled that there's no absolute guarantee that having done it and even having done it successfully, that someone automatically becomes a parent. So I just think everyone needs to have a balanced view. And I think that, you know, in general, there isn't always a balanced view being being offered. Is it it, it possible to tell whether it will be successful? 
Um, I think if you're having a really good review and you have some blood tests and you have a scan and a clinician is able to see what, what's actually going on, then yes, if we're seeing follicular growth, we know roughly how many eggs we would expect to get from a cycle. That doesn't mean it always happens because it's medicine and sometimes things don't go as planned, but it gives us a, a reasonable idea. And from that, a clinician should be able to say to you, look, we would want to, at your age, freeze X number of eggs to try and ensure that you have one baby. And I think that that's going to take one cycle or two cycles or three cycles. And these are all things that women should be thinking about before they go into this process. Because if the answer is, and it isn't always, this might take three cycles and someone can only afford one cycle then they need to know that before they start that cycle of treatment because it might not be worth doing. Mm, mm. So I think it's just about getting some really good advice, actually. Mm. Uh, on that, I wanted to tell you about a story we've just heard from a young woman who is 32 years old and she unfortunately was diagnosed recently with breast cancer. So oh, she yeah. was referred to a private clinic but uh, funded through the NHS to have her eggs frozen. Right. Yeah. She had an, an awful time. It took her about a month. She was um, using hormones ev every other day, I think, for about a month mm. in order to stimulate her follicles properly there was there was trouble with it but the the doctors said that she mm. should keep going and keep injecting in the end she had a procedure she said she was terribly bloated in a lot of pain mm. could mm. barely mm. she was on bed rest for a week and they harvested three eggs she felt that it wow. really was not worth it and she's mm -hmm. she's pretty peeved to put it lightly sure. about the procedure she says that she was scanned throughout and that really someone should have sat down with her and said look this isn't going to work and you should stop what do you think about that what do you think's gone wrong in that situation well first i'd say i'm not a doctor so i'm just talking from from my own experience of, of watching the, the clinicians interact and how, and how we would run a cycle what i would say is she's absolutely right it's very rare that there is a total shock on the day of egg collection and we think we're going to collect 15 eggs and in fact we only collect two. It is possible but very unlikely. What we'll do during those scans is be saying to patients, this is going like this. This is how it's looking today. This is what we're thinking. This is why we're going to increase your medication or this is why we're going to lower your medication because you need to watch that stimulation really carefully you have to go on that journey with someone. And there will be scenarios where we say to a patient, look, we think we are only going to collect three eggs. What do you want to do? We would say in certain circumstances, we think we should stop. Let's just stop and try again another month. Maybe this wasn't the right month, but she shouldn't have been left not knowing that that was happening to her, no. Mm. Do you think that that's, it's quite a kind of easy situation to transpire in with the industry being so kind of vast and with so many clinics popping up all the time? Um, that's a really difficult question for me to answer. I can only really comment on what we do here. We probably scan people every two to three days. And again, it really depends on how their stimulation is going. If it's all going absolutely brilliantly, then we might say to a patient, we only need to see you you know, at a three-day interval, if the cycle's not going well, we might want to see them more regularly. I think you can't write a protocol and say, this protocol works for every patient because it doesn't. So you need to be at a clinic that is 
working with you as an individual as opposed to a process. All I can say is people should research their clinics. People should ask good questions. People should ultimately find a place if they are going to have treatment. And I say this to patients all the time. Find a team that you trust. Find a team that you have confidence in because that team is going to tell you to do things that you never thought you'd do, right? No one thinks when they're growing up they're going to inject themselves with a hormone and let someone collect some eggs from their body. These are really big, you know, decisions for for women to make about themselves. And so they should be somewhere where they feel cared for and safe and they trust the team. And that's not going to be the same clinic for everyone. Emma, what would you say to someone like me? So I'm 32. I did have plans to become a mother, but they they were shelved because of the end of a relationship. And I'm considering my options. It's it's mm. it's very unlikely that that I'll be in a position to have a baby in the next sort of year. Definitely, maybe mm-hmm. two years. What I have sort of let's say I have five thousand pounds in the bank um, that's just mm-hmm. sitting there. If I was, mm-hmm. <laughs> she says. Um, <laughs> what what would you advise me to do? The only thing I would advise you to do right now, because you're thinking about it, is go and have a really good review somewhere. Have a set of bloods. Have a scan. The gynecological side of things, we can't really see. Sometimes we feel them and sometimes we experience them, but we don't actually know what's going on with them. So I would say go and have a really good review because, as I said earlier, just having a review does not mean you've made a decision to have some kind of fertility treatment. Right? Have a review so that you understand where you are. It may be that your fertility is great. And someone says, you know what? You've been through something really traumatic. Don't think about this for the next year. You know, your life might look very different in the next year. Go away and relax. They might tell you something about your fertility that you didn't know. And actually, knowing is better than not knowing, even when it's something we might not want to hear. And so I wouldn't say, oh, you should have egg freezing or you shouldn't have egg freezing. Because who knows? Your situation is completely, you know, specific to you. And there's lots of things that you don't know about yourself in relation to your fertility. And that's what I would say. Take some a bit of time, invest a little bit of money in exploring where you are so that actually you can make some really good decisions about your life. Excellent advice. <laughs> thank you, Emma. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been, it's been great to chat. We really appreciate your time. No, it's a pleasure. Well, that was very good advice. Although I have to say I have had about 10 million scans at this point. Have you? Yeah. Just because I'm paranoid. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to keep on top of things. And, you know, if you do need to intervene at some point, then you can obviously take some kind of action. But what I found out is that they can't really tell anything. Really? There's only so much they can tell you. Well, they can tell you, I suppose, that you have a, a working set of ovaries. Yes, they can, they can say no, there's nothing abnormal here. Exactly. But in my previous relationship, there were, in the sort of last few months, we were not really trying, trying, but mm. I wasn't on contraception mm. and I didn't get pregnant. Mm. And so I thought, well, that means I'm not going to get pregnant. But I think it was the universe's way of telling me that. 
karma, it I was think, not stepping in. the right time. I think probably. I think you should be grateful for that, mm. given the situation now. Mm. But I mean, I think it is interesting. You do never know until you start. I mean, I was told in my very early 20s that I had polycystic ovaries and would struggle to conceive. I went through, uh, you know, a couple of wow. years of not really having many periods at all. And actually, when I did start trying at the age of 32, mm. um, it took two cycles. Wow. And then I conceived my son, who's my second child, um, first time. Wow. So it just goes to show. I mean, that was a, a 10-year gap, but nobody really knows what's That's going really to happen inter- until I think the start. PCOS thing is so interesting because I think a lot of women get told they have polycystic ovaries. Yes. But that doesn't mean they have polycystic ovary syndrome. No, indeed, exactly. And it's quite easy to have lots of... I mean, I've been told before in scans and one of the million scans I've had, are you, do you have polycystic ovaries? Because it looks like you've got polycystic ovaries. And I was like, no, it just looks like that because apparently the pill can make you have extra... Oh, really? That's interesting. Cyst. It's not a cyst. It's like mm. just a little nodule thing mm. that looks like a cyst. Anyway, off topic. But basically it's complicated. It's a bit, Fertility is incredibly complicated. Mm. And I guess if you want to make it slightly easier for yourself, the younger your eggs when you try and conceive... Mm the better it's going to be. I mean, they always Mm. say that, don't they? And if you've got the option to freeze them, Mm. it does sound like techniques for freezing have improved dramatically, say, Mm. for what we were saying earlier. Mm. When when I was talking about my friends and I 10, 12 years ago, vitrification has made a huge impact, Mm. uh, not just for egg freezing, but also for embryo freezing, couples undergoing IVF. So it's what vitrification? Yeah, so it's a a rapid freezing technique. Uh I think before it used to just take slightly longer, but Mm. that increased the risk of damage happening Mm. to the embryos and to the eggs. So I think they were finding that when they were being defrosted, there there were problems inherent in the the original process that they used. Now, because it's sort of almost like flash freezing, there's less opportunity for damage to occur as part of the process mm. so you end up with something that's um, largely intact and um, as uh, Emma was saying mm. you're, you're dealing with eggs that look like fresh eggs mm. they don't look like they've been frozen wow. which is obviously a huge huge advancement for mm. anyone and given that the HFEA I think are now either consulting on or have already removed the upper uh, time limit for gamete storage so I think you can now store sperm years. and eggs mm. for longer than the 10 years they mm. previously stipulated mm. it'll be interesting to see I mean, if you were to delve into my freezer I think you'd probably find things in there that have been there for longer 55 than 55 years, years. <laughs> but you know when you take them out they obviously don't necessarily defrost very well and no. you might not want to eat them so I don't I've, I've currently got a block of feta cheese in there oh, which wow. I'm it could go either way <laughs> come back and tell yeah. us yeah I'm sure you'll want to know but I do wonder what difference that's going to make you know mm. if you do I mean the trend is for women to start doing this even younger mm. because I think we knew that it was late 30s now it's early 30s mm. and we may well move backwards in time to, to women being in their 20s when they start thinking about this as an option if so that could mean that you've got eggs on ice for 20 years and we don't really know what that's going to do because yeah we don't know how the length of time that the egg is on ice whether that makes a difference whether that makes a difference indeed we Uh, only know about theoretically it wouldn't because you're sort of stopping time possibly not but um yeah maybe keep your feta for 20 years see what difference that makes. I'm not living there in 20 years time. (laughs) One thing that I thought was really interesting is how my mind has changed so I had a conversation with Emma 
right at the beginning of this week when I started to write the piece and she was very wary of me and I was very wary of her. She was very fed up with the negative press, I think, Mm. around egg freezing. And she said to me that it's very frustrating for women they see because they think, here's this option for me that's empowering and means I can take some of the control back in my life and I'm not just reliant on the next man who's going to come along and I don't have to make sacrifices. I can, you know, have a little bit of control. And then they read all these articles that say that egg freezing doesn't work and it's terrible and it's painful and it's a waste of money. And they think, well, what am I supposed to do? And it Mm. just leaves them feeling even more sort of despairing and... She gave me this kind of whole spiel and I just thought, oh, that's just industry talk. Of course. Um, you know, she just doesn't like the bad press. And actually, you know, it's just, it's the truth that it doesn't work. And and then I started looking into it. And actually, by the end of this process, I completely agree with her. I feel that even if it is just giving women a small chance mm. of having control over that element of their life that previously we have never have had control over, I think it's worth it. I think it just has to be communicated properly mm. because I think what you're saying is that this, it's light and shade. Mm. There are these negative articles in the press, but there are also, from the industry, mm. really positively mm. spun case studies of women who have been in there and it's all been amazing and like a feather tickle and, and, and no problems at all. I mean, the reality is it's somewhere in the middle mm. that some women will will have problems doing it and it might be painful and it is going to be uncomfortable. Mm. And at the end of the day, your chances from it might not be as kind of brilliant as you might think. But at the same time, that doesn't mean it doesn't work. And that doesn't mean that it isn't that glimmer of hope for your fertility in the longer term. You know, both things can be true. I think also what it's not taken into account, perhaps, is the risks of settling for a relationship that isn't Mm. great or whatever because you're also afraid about your fertility yeah I just know from personal experience the number of women who who do that you know Mm. there's lots of them out there yeah and what happens not only to them in the future but also their children you know I think that because that that element is so broad and vague it's it's difficult to kind of pin down the risks of that yeah but it's definitely something that I I think about a lot. A male gynaecologist said to me this week, the problem is that women these days are too focused on looking for Mr. Right. And if they really want to have babies and they want to do it at a reasonable age, they should be looking for Mr. Not So Bad. So speaking up for mediocre men everywhere. Yeah, it's going to be a lot. That's a popular opinion. Um, Someone has to, I suppose. I suppose, exactly. I said... That I I, don't, I think that might not go down so well with this no, generation and of I women. Mean, it's a tale of as old as time, isn't yeah. it? That having a baby is not a sticking plaster on a crumbling relationship. You know, if you have a baby in a in a relationship that isn't ideal, then it's it's not going to somehow turn it into an amazing long term wonderful marriage. But it's also irritating this idea that women should have to settle for something that is not going to serve them well in the end, whereas men can wait for, I don't know, another five to ten years um, until they find the princess of their dreams. Indeed, and um, we are not the princesses (laughs) of their dreams. Speak for yourself, Jay. (laughs) Anyway, with that, that's all we've got time for this week on Medical Minefield. You can read all about this in this weekend's Mail on Sunday, which you can consume in old-fashioned paper form or on mailplus.co.uk or on the Mail app. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.